there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. It's the first Advanced Medicine Monday of August here, the 6th. We're kicking it off this Monday, and of course, we've been cranking it up with Dr. Gonzalez. And now, welcome back, my dear friend, my co-host every Monday, Dr. Rashid Bittar. Hey, Robert. Good to be back. Man, it was a great time with uh, Ty last week. Thank you for inviting him. I didn't realize how wild and crazy it would get. (laughs) I've had a lot of comments with people saying that there wasn't as much uh, medical information as they had thought they may get, but it certainly made up for it because of its entertainment factor. <laughs> yes, and, and remember, healing is about everything, and, and one of the greatest medicines we've heard throughout history is laughter, that great medicine. Certainly a lot safer than much of what the medical community is offering. Well, it's one of my steps in my book, so... One of the key steps of the nine steps to keep the doctor away, laugh a lot. <laughs> and, that's, and so we try to throw a little bit of that in as we go. Of course, here in August and now in the northern hemisphere, we come back to the latter part of the, the summer season and we're transitioning back to school. This is the time where we call it the, the school shot season, where hunting season begins. Guess what? The CDC and the vaccinologists are hunting your children. Big propaganda campaign we just saw recently on CNN about the whooping cough. Well, you know, it's interesting, Robert, that when Frontline did their story on the whooping cough issue and the vaccination issue, and they actually came to my office and had a whole crew that was there for almost 48 hours. They spent, I think, 13 hours on the second day, and I turned PBS down on three different occasions declined their offer to come and interview us until they agreed to interview three of my patients and they agreed to do so and when it was all said and done on frontline when they covered the vaccine aspect they talked referred to us this was on i think this is, came out last year mm-hmm. referred to us as or referred to me as a controversial doctor and only showed footage that seemed like it was done from some kind of a undercover camera at a strange angle even though they had cameras running in our office on the second day for 13 hours and the first day for probably eight hours. Everything was about the whooping cough aspect. And they showed, if you remember, they showed maybe six cases of people that had whooping cough. And they were talking about this propaganda of talking and discussing and promoting the agenda of the anti-vaccinists will cause you to put your child at the risk, uh, make your child susceptible and, and put them at great risk for developing these life-threatening conditions such as whooping cough. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the, the absurdity of the whole thing is that you look at the 10 cases of children that may have died of whooping cough and you compare it to the literally hundreds and hundreds of cases of children that have died of having a vaccination and then having an acute febrile response, a seizure, uh, suffocation, they die. Or you look at the sudden infant death syndrome, the SIDS aspect that was all related to the vaccines. Or you look at, I mean, umpteen different causes of death due to vaccinations. And they talk about this whooping cough aspect. So they're, they're playing on people's emotions and they're only giving people the information that 
is one-sided. When they did the frontline piece, which was really interesting, they had moms that they talked about. They interviewed four or five moms that were, quote, anti-vaccine moms. And then the counterpoint, instead of giving it to the, the counterpoint was presented by these doctors like Offit and, you know. Right. So they're so, um, such humble people that are only motivated by doing good and all this BS that just was mm-hmm. made you want to vomit while watching the show. Sure, yeah, the vaccine agenda should make you want to vomit because this is something that if we look at the CNN piece that just came out about the whooping cough and they admit, okay, what we need to do is get your child vaccinated starting at two months old. What, what immunologist claims that these kids can even have an antibody response to a vaccine at two months old? Well, the first six months of life, there is no immune response, as you know. And yeah. somebody needs to make them aware that, you know, this is if they're such leaders in promoting immunity among children and they're the big vaccine proponents, then they should basically have the basic fundamental understanding, as you just pointed out, that the immune response can't even respond in a baby in the first six months of life. In fact, the baby's immune response is based upon the IgM, the immunoglobulin M, which is all from the mother that they get. They, their immune response the, is is non-existent, and that's one reason the first six months of life, the child is actually the most, exactly. the immune system is the strongest in the child yes. because it's all coming from the mother. And then after that, it starts to weaken, and then you know by, the, by one year of life, it starts to develop again. Yeah, exactly. And, and the thing is, that's why we, of course, encourage breastfeeding, because all of those immunoglobulins are going to be coming from mom. And this is such a horrific thing, this propaganda campaign parading as news again. I mean, this is purely written by PR agencies on, in Madison Avenue and give them a script to say, here's how you get them to, to take the vaccine, even though the scams have been shown to be uh, absolutely outrageous from the drug and, and vaccine industry, where they admit that they basically you know, fudged all of the data to show that their vaccines even work at all for, in the way that they claim that they do work? Well, Robert, you just brought up this point, you know, with the first six months, too. Yeah. Here's another thing that's really interesting. If you think about it, in the first six months of life, you should have no condition or n- virtually no condition as far as infectious disease that's going to make the fetus, uh, the, the newborn baby, I should say, yes. neonate, neonate uh, susceptible to any type of injury. And yet we see that to be exactly the opposite in our society. Why? Mm-hmm. Because we're giving babies these vaccines that are immunosuppressive, that have immunosuppressants in them, yes. in addition to the vaccine being immunosuppressive, and then it causes a metabolic disruption in the entire cascade of these processes that are intricate for the development of this child, of this newborn baby. And if you think about it from a perspective of an engine, it's like taking an engine before it's fully developed, before it's put together completely. In other words, still in the factory, it's being put together, 80 90% put together, and you throw a wrench into this machinery mm-hmm. and ruin everything. Yeah, well, the, then the well baby visits become the, the basic starting point of the decline of the health and integrity of the immune system from the mom that's being imparted on the baby. You're counteracting it. You're overwhelming. You're destroying it from the get-go, which guarantees you're going to come back for the four-month because my baby is not a well baby. I have to come back. And they've made it so. And then on top of that, certain preservatives that are being used in these vaccines which are naturally eliminated by the alimentary tract, by the gastrointestinal mm-hmm. system of the body, are impossible to get rid of because it's the first year to two years of life before those 
systems are fully developed. So the alimentary tract isn't even fully developed till about two years of life. So between one, between one year and two years, if you get anything in, in that b- before that one-year portion, but definitely in that one-year portion, I used to think that the alimentary tract, it took a, one year for it to develop. But when I went back and looked at some of the embryology um, textbooks, they mm-hmm. actually talk about certain components being developed within the first year, certain other components takes up to two years. Sure. So you can't even process, these children can't even process these preservatives out of their system that you get. So you not only are you getting a poison, mm-hmm. and not only are you getting a poison at a critical time in development, but now you're getting a poison at a critical part of development when the pathways to eliminate them are not even fully functional. Exactly. And of course, some of these things are bypassing the alimentary canal because of direct injection, but others are now giving orally, which are relying upon the alimentary tract, and it's not even developed and functional and responding in a way that an adult would respond. So it's all in all, one lie upon another lie upon another lie. Yes. And the people that are suffering are those that don't even have a voice yet to be able to protest. Yes, and, and if we see these kids with the so-called pertussis and whooping cough, I mean, these are desperate adaptations for survival. The body is trying to find a way to heal, find a way to throw things out, and their, their little livers are being overwhelmed by this assault. My point would be very simply that if you didn't give a child a vaccine, their immune system is going to be stronger to ward off the natural pertussis uh, exposure that most individuals would have. But it's the ones that are being hit by these vaccines and their immune systems have been suppressed that become more susceptible to getting pertussis, to getting whooping cough. Well, that's exactly right. Of course, those that are still watching CNN as if it were the gospel truth or listening to these so-called docs like Offit, the, the vaccine prophet, we call him, and, and I mean P-R-O-F-I-T, uh, they're still duped into believing this or still frightened into it. Now, the good news is, of course, our audience here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicine Monday especially, are getting plugged into some information that is not reaching them through the old media. That is a good, and the good news also is many of our listeners are now starting to speak up and talk to their neighbors and question these automatic assumptions and ex- ex- expectations and even acceptance of the so-called uh, medical uh, benign, I don't know, wonderful here to only help you even if they're the nicest people on earth as a pediatrician you love your pediatrician if they're willing to inject a two-month-old with pertussis or any other vaccine on another level i don't care how nice they are you got to get the hell out of their office before they do it and even if they are nice and you believe that they have every good intention which i probably would agree that most pediatricians do have good intentions but you know the old adage is that the the road to hell. Road to hell, yeah, mm-hmm. is paved with good intentions, exactly. Well, and the road to whooping cough, the road to chronic diseases in childhood, the, wo- the, the road to the autism spectrum, the road to gastrointestinal destruction, paved with the good intentions of those pediatricians who have not looked into it the way we have here on the Advanced Medicine Monday. So this is a you know another wake-up call to watch this propaganda campaign continue to unfold. Well, Robert, just to make sure that some people that may be listening, you know, they know this is a Mm -hmm. radio show. It's getting popular among many people all over the world. Um, I have had one patient that made the comment to me that they had their relative, one of their relatives that actually listened to the show and had some negative comments that they made. And Mm -hmm. they said, yeah, it's easy for them to sit on that radio show and talk about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And they're not really dealing with this type of stuff. So they don't really know. So for those people, to be clear, I want to make sure that people understand that I am treating patients with autism and have been since 1998. 
I have treated over 1,600 cases of autism, independently diagnosed by third party, not diagnosed by us, in my own clinic, and our protocol has been used as of last year, the numbers exceeded 25,000 children through over 1,500 doctors all over the world. Mm -hmm. So we're not talking from just an opinion. We're talking about having been there, and I I wasn't an anti-vaccine person. Mm -hmm. I remember I was asked to come and talk to PAVE, Parents Against Vaccine, I don't remember what the E stands for, but anyway, mm-hmm. it was an organization that had asked me to come and speak about 15 years ago. Yeah. And I was not a person that was going around saying, hey, you shouldn't vaccinate your child. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. I just said, well, you know, you need to look at all the different components. And yes, they have, they have their merits in certain times. And I was very much like the typical doctor that's not noncommittal. Why? Because mm-hmm. I wasn't sure about it then. Now, having gone through all this, having had a son that was right. injured by vaccines who, with the grace of God, has exceeded every expectation of any child of anywhere in, on the planet. And as you've heard me say that the only thing that he's missing is, is cape, otherwise he'd be <laughs> Superman. Yes. But yes. The, the, having gone through this entire gamut and having mm-hmm. seen the other side, having been in situations now where I have been lecturing in a different country and you see the way that the uh, pro-vaccine groups have attacked and the, they've maneuvered in a venue where you would have thought that they shouldn't feel threatened. And yet, even though they controlled the venue, how threatened they were and how they maneuvered the agenda to promote their belief system. Yes. And, and of course, they, they don't, their belief system is based upon full a full gamut of flies. So yes. you can't have any truth when it's built upon a complete foundation of falsehood. Yes. So it's it's very, very disturbing. And that's one reason I said that this isn't about known or unknown or good or bad. This is This goes beyond good medicine or bad medicine. This becomes very sinister. And the, and the agenda is highly, highly suspect. Yes. And this is about advanced medicine here on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Rashi Bittar best-selling author of The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away all over planet Earth. People are digging it, loving it, and I, I hope that you'll get it if you haven't already. The links are up at the show notes today at robertscottbell.com. If you've missed any, any of these, you can always go to medicalrewind.com and plenty of other places that have this downloadable for free. Uh, many, many hours of great, great uh, healing information. And we're going to come right back with more powerful healing on the other side of this break. Say thanks to our sponsors. Dr. Batar is back after this with more advanced medicine. If you're looking for FDA-approved radio, you're listening to the wrong show. This is the Robert Scott Bell Show. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. If you ever have any questions or comments, you can call 24-7 to 866-939-BELL, 866-939-2355. We'll also let you know all of our listeners up there in Philadelphia will be coming September 21st and 22nd, Advanced Medicine Seminars. Dr. Rasha Bittar will be there. I'll be there, and we'll tell you a little bit more about that, but stand by for that update. In the meantime, Dr. Bittar, you know, that interesting question or comment about, well, you're not living it. That's a, that's the point of, I can't come on here every day and tell you all I went through. You have to kind of listen because I pepper my history and my stories in. And I was vaccine damaged. I've got very clear memories of the smallpox vaccine, which they don't typically give anymore. 
uh, how I revaccinated, re-injured myself by vaccinating myself on the temple of my forehead, and, and one of the poxes grew out, and the, the, the difficulty I had since then with migraine headaches and, and vicious, uh, vicious problems. But on top of that, after re- recovering from some of those or a lot of my chronic diseases due to vaccines, consulted with many doctors and many families, directly and indirectly, to help them undo the damage from vaccination. So I know full well I've had to deal with the pediatric community as a parent as well, have found very, uh, let's say, open pediatricians, and I found some very closed, some that I've nearly come to fist blows with because I, I just was so disgusted with their willingness to so callously disregard the basic human immune system and baby's immune system or lack thereof. So we've been through a lot of these things we talk about. Exactly. This is not something that's like another radio show that where people are sitting there and just talking heads, giving their opinions without having any understanding or any knowledge on the basic fundamentals of that topic that they're discussing. Mm-hmm. We have lived this, and that's where I think the difference lies that other people that are listening to the radio show, they know that because – you know, I'm getting. I can feel my blood pressure just going up just even talking about this subject oh, yes. because it inherently aggravates me that there are people out there that are still giving vaccines and then promoting the vaccines, and they're hurting literally hundreds of thousands of children every day. Yes, the the ADHD article that you sent to me mm-hmm. on that was on Yahoo News. You know, this is this goes right along that same gamut where they're talking about that eleven. School-age children are diagnosed with attention deficit hyper... <clears throat> One out of 11 are diagnosed disorder. with ADHD, and up to 40% of those kids may display symptoms in preschool. I mean, good Lord, what the hell is going on? We know, and we're talking about it, but they're just scratching their heads going, wow, this is weird. Maybe we need to get them on some more drugs. See, when my daughter, who's 19, by the way, now, when mm-hmm. my daughter tested for kindergarten at, five, at the age of five, they had to go through this test... And after the test, then they determine based upon the scores of the test yes. what grade level they're at. And I think Robert, you and I talked about this. Now this is way back, you know, mm-hmm. this is 14 years ago. And she basically tested out of the grade school level, of the high, the, the kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, and they basically stopped after fourth grade because they said they couldn't put a five-year-old with ten-year-olds. In fifth grade, because there was just no way. Although her reading level exceeded that. She was reading. I remember at that particular meeting, I asked her to read the sign, and she kind of hid behind my leg and didn't want to read the sign. And the teacher said, you know, it's okay. The kids sometimes are shy like this, Mm -hmm. and and they just don't want to read. And it was a big sign that said, welcome. You know, welcome, whatever, something else. And so she finally pokes her head around from around my leg, and she starts reading Mecklenburg County superintendent's office, you know, article, blah, blah, blah. It's a, it's a big, fun- big, big words for a five-year-old. Yeah, she was reading the, the, the stuff at the bottom, and the teacher was, like, looking looking on the side, like, what's she reading? And then realized she was reading the fine print. They were like, holy moly, what, yes. you know, what, what is going on with this? Well, they tested her, and they said that she couldn't – they just couldn't put her with the, fi- the fifth graders. But one thing that they did say was that she needed medication. Ugh. And I said, well, excuse me, what do you mean? She said, yes, she has all the signs for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And I asked them, what are you basing your opinion on? Mm-hmm. And, of course, I think I told you this before, Robert. We may, yeah. we may have even covered it in the show. They didn't know, the lady didn't know I was a doctor. The teacher didn't know I was a doctor. Yeah. And she said, based upon the questionnaires, 
when they're asked to do certain tasks and they're told to stop and the child refuses to stop, that, uh, that shows that the child has an attention deficit di- issue. Now, in my world, <laughs> yes. when a child is given a task to do and they do not stop when they're asked to stop, it shows that they're goal-oriented. Yes, they don't they stop wanna, something wanna... until it's fully completed. Exactly. But that and, means they need to be drugged now. Exactly. And, or, you know, when a child daydreams... Mm-hmm. This is something that I really hope that people are listening to. In fact, if people haven't listened to anything I've said in the last year, I hope they just listen to this next two minutes or next yes. one minute. Actually, I'll keep it 30 seconds so I make sure I don't keep on running on. <laughs> but the whole thing is when a child is sitting there and they, they're daydreaming and the old time school teachers just come up and take a ruler and smack you in the hand. Nowadays, they want to go ahead and give you a drug because you're not paying attention to the teacher. But think about this, Robert, for a second. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for those daydreamers, we would still be transporting ourselves with horse and buggy. Yeah. It was a child that sat there and imagined, imagined the ability to drive or imagined the ability to go on a rocket ship or imagined the ability to fly that allowed us to be where we are today. It wasn't because of those simple-minded children that sat there and followed the even simpler-minded teachers that were sitting there giving the same old minutia over day over and day over again. Yes. Think about if we are dependent upon everything that's taught to us by teachers and nobody exceeds that, then we are never going to evolve further. We are going to be in a state of stagnation. Yes. And the one thing, the one criteria that is the most crucial for human evolution to continue for us to increase our technological advances is for those children that daydream to be encouraged to daydream, Amen. not to be medicated and dumbed down, but to be encouraged to think. Amen. That is that is so important, and it is one of the top things that I am glad you're letting loose on today because so much of the culture to keep the kids so so-called in the box, right? Because much of uh, education, let's call it, it's watered down. It is mass education. And even in medical education, since the Flexner Report, the design was not to create innovation, but it was to control and constrain the medical community to do what those certain industries that would benefit from it would do. And yet, despite all of that, there's been great innovation, and we would acknowledge those things. But in terms of the kids in classrooms, those daydreamers are the ones that change the world for the better. And I want to encourage it as well. They are literally, they're dreaming beyond the box, beyond the limitations. And of course, that can be threatening to those who have embraced mediocrity for one that's absolutely correct because if we want to exceed the standard we must be able to think we must Mm -hmm. stimulate thought we must encourage new and innovative thought processes i've often said that if medicine was analogous to the computer industry Mm -hmm. our laptops would not be laptops they would be the size of small commercial buildings still yes yes because that's how retardant the medical profession is mm-hmm. they they push back and they prevent the advance their entire agenda is to keep mm-hmm. the innovation from coming in as you said robert because they have too much to risk because mm-hmm. they are the ones that are going to lose they are the ones going to lose control of the power they're going to lose control of the wealth they will no longer be at the helm directing which way the ship is going yes and i think that's where it all comes in and when you use the word retard, it's not in an offensive way because it's actually the, the root of the word is to hold back. And this is what we're talking about. The medical profession has been held back, not promoting the advance. The advancements happen despite a lot of these holdbacks. That's where we would embrace it. That's what we want to see more of, the integration of technology and consciousness, where, where they go to advancements in technology without consciousness, it becomes something like vaccination. 
That, without a doubt, absolutely. And by the way, thank you for watching my back and making sure you clarified that because I'm sure there would have been somebody that would have taken oh, yeah. that out of context. So I appreciate you. Oh yeah, we, we can offend, but we offend regularly here, not intentionally. <laughs> it's like la- last week uh, we, we covered the Chick Fil A story because uh, the the owner of Chick Fil A came out and said uh, he he doesn't believe in gay marriage, and so all of the the good uh, God fearing Christians ran out to poison themselves with chicken sandwiches loaded with MSG. <laughs> and and anti-foaming agents. I'm like, dude, you guys preach health in the churches and then don't send your parishioners into fast food restaurants. It's okay to believe what you want to believe, but why do you want the government involved in your marriage? Now, that alone was already offensive. I know that, but I did it anyway because it had to be said. But, you know, Robert, just on a side note, it, mm-hmm. I have had Chick-fil-A before, mm-hmm. and I don't know why, but the meat tastes sweet. And I think that they soak it in, like, Sugar water or something. Yeah, well, no, there's high fructose corn syrup in it. That's one of the key ingredients. Is it really? Yep, yep. They soak their meat in that? Yeah, so it, that, that's why it tastes so good, because it, it, it excites the, the sweet receptors. And, of course, that makes you want even more of it. Uh, so, yeah, it's a deceptive game that they play. They take you know some, you know, food like a chicken, and they alter it chemically in such a way that it causes you to crave it. And that's the game. I knew I came off of fast food in my young life. That's another aspect of speaking from the experience. It wasn't like I grew up as a, as a bean sprout eating hippie. I mean, I grew up on fast food, food in a box of four food groups. I had to undo all of that uh, lack of food consciousness to get where I am today. Well, I actually ate a lot of fast food, too, while I was in medical school and, mm-hmm. and, and even after medical school. But I'd say it was about in the last 12 years that the evolution took place where I started realizing and every now and then, even if, even if I'm really hungry and I don't have time to do anything else, I won't eat fast food. But on the rare occasion, maybe once every six months, like I haven't had a soda, I haven't had a Coke or anything like that in probably over a decade. Mm-hmm. But the fast food, you know, maybe every six months I'll break down and have something just because I haven't eaten all day and I don't have time and my wife is out of town, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But whereas before I could eat it and have no problem, now when I eat it, I think the cleaner you become, yes. the more the more violent of a reaction your body has, the more cathartic <laughs> exactly. of an event you have. <laughs> yes. Well, no, that's a very important point to bring up, and that's what I found in my own recovery, Dr. Batar. As I got healthier and cleaner, I started reacting to the food that I used to grow, grow up and eat with no problem. And I tell people now, if you can pull through the drive through eat that food, and not at least have a case of diarrhea, you're not, you're not very well. Yeah. You know? and, exactly and, right. and if you can throw it right back up, you're in pretty good, strong shape. So it's a bizarre thing because they'll look at me and go, ah, you can't even eat the McDougal burgers without getting sick. I'm thinking if you can eat one and not get sick, there's a problem. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. When we come back from this break with Dr. Batar, I want to talk about a few more of the the spotlighting symptoms that the the school uh, marms, as they used to be called, are looking out for. If your kid shows one of these, they might want to put them on drugs, and we'll, we'll show you how... Those things are actually the opposite of what they tell you. Next on the Robert Scott Bell Show, special Monday edition as we do every week with Dr. Rasha Bittar. It's called Advanced Medicine Monday. Back after this. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Following up on that ADHD story Dr. Batar brought up, I had sent to him, there's a bullet point list, and you can see this in the article, and it's linked up at the show notes today at robertscottbell.com, about things to look out for, why your kid might be ADHD. 
One of them is this one. You'll love this one. Climbs on things despite being told not to. Now, <laughs> I'll tell you this. There would be no Olympic gymnasts if it were not for kids that they discover love to climb on things that no one else wants to climb on. So you talk about excelling beyond mediocrity, beyond fear. These people achieve things. They're almost like superhero abilities. And it starts at that age. And the thing is, they want to shut it down. Oh, we got to drug that kid. That kid might become an Olympian one day. We can't have that. Robert, it's not even becoming an Olympian. It's just any athletic child is sure. going to be climbing all over the place. Any, I mean, you'd have no football players, no basketball players, no <laughs> baseball players, no martial artists, no, no nothing. Yes. I mean, that is the most absurd thing. You know, while reading that article, I clicked on an article that was below it. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether you noticed it, but it's regarding monkey studies suggest long-term use of ADHD drugs safe. And this was a study that was done here in Wake Forest, North Carolina, where they took 16 juvenile monkeys. And they – did you read that study by any chance? I, just I, I mentioned it. it a while back, but it's worth bringing up again, especially with your perspective. Well, 6 to 10 it, – they're saying that these 16 juvenile monkeys used in the study were equivalent to the age of 6 to 10-year-old humans. And they found that after one year – After one year of drug therapy, we found no long-lasting effects on the neurochemistry of the brain, no changes in the structure of the developing brain, Mm -hmm. said the chairwoman Linda Porino of Wake Forest's physiology and pharmacology uh, pharmacology department. Mm -hmm. Um, Interestingly enough, they went on to say that this particular study shows that all the thought process where ADHD drugs were bad Mm long-term – wasn't an issue but here's the first question they did it for one year and to me one year in a child that's six years old or eight years old or nine years old to ten is not long term what about when they're been taking this drug for five years exactly they're not tested for that one year also in this article i can't believe this quote here there was also no increase in the susceptibility for drug abuse later in adolescence how are they measuring drug abuse in adolescent monkeys? I ask you. Exactly. I mean, where are they getting access to drugs? Oh, well, this monkey didn't, you know, we, we sort of hinted at that we put him let loose on the drug corner. He didn't go, go to the dealer and ask for something. What the hell is this? It's bizarre. Yeah, they put crack cocaine in there. They saw, I, look, I looked at the 16th uh, juvenile monkeys and saw how many of them. Yeah, you know, monkeys looked it. at this stuff and said, not interested. Oh, yeah. look, the kids aren't going to do, do crack now. Well, the reason is because the monkeys were smarter than, you know, when you – monkeys are smarter than the than the researchers when they looked yeah. at it, they said i'm not going to take this crap yeah, exactly. and of course they dis, they deduced from that evidence of the monkeys throwing the stuff away that I there was no you. long-term propensity for drug abuse i tell you what we read these things and we wonder how the human species is going to survive one more day you know <laughs> based on the science man oh man unbelievable but it, but it really is that that battle is it not i mean you have been you looked upon by your own profession, oftentimes uh, feared. You, you, people have been angry with you. Why? I believe partly, and we've talked about this extensively, because you challenge the status quo. You don't accept anything as, as a fact just by the nature that somebody says it. And much of the medical profession is all about accepting status quo, not asking questions, not challenging it. So you're the guy going, look at this, and, you, and they don't want to look at it. Well, Robert, think about this for a second. I mean, when you have something where the baseline is considered a standard of care. I mean, even to me, the words are offensive, a standard. How can you have a standard for something that is going to have an ideological basis that's going to differ from one person to the other person? I don't think that there's any single 
healthcare provider on this planet that would disagree regarding the biological individuality and the genetic uniqueness of every individual. So if you, if our building blocks are uniquely different, even if we were fraternal twins, our building blocks are different, our DNA is different, then how can you have a, quote, standard for some disease process when oxidative stress that causes every disease process Yes, that's the same, but how it manifests into yes. each individual is going to be different. And so when they talk about these standard of cares, you know, it, it, that's another thing that is just absolutely – if it wasn't so absurd, it would be infuriating. Well, and that's exactly what uh, Dr. Nick Gonzalez was talking about last hour. Exactly that, Dr. Bittar, that these people that lock down on this one-size-fits-all approach in medicine and even, even in nutrition, people are guilty of that too. And that's why, you know, this is going to be so exciting doing these advanced medicine seminars because we're bringing that individual liberty concept, individual acknowledgement of the uniqueness of everyone that comes to it that is not offered in many places. Absolutely. And the balance aspect. In fact, that's mm-hmm. the reason that the nutritional line that I am using and that we were behind in developing, the name is even balanced. That's the name of it, balance. Why? Because we have to balance the system. And what may be right for one person may be different for another person. It's so interesting that you brought up the nutritional aspect because mm-hmm. you've got the people that are on the all vegetables, all green, all this, you know, all on one side extreme. And then you've got the other people that are on the extreme on the opposite ex- extent. And then people ask me, well, Dr. Tar, you know, how do I know what's true? How do I know that, that uh, I'm eating? Some people say I eat too much beef. Some people say I eat too much greens. You know, how do I know what the truth is? And when you start looking at the human system, you know, you look at the evidence that the creator put on us. We have incisors. We, we don't have cloven hooves. You know, I mean, you've got... You, you look at a, a black buck. I've got Elon here. I've got zebra. I've got horses. I've got yak. Every one of these animals that's a that's a uh, herbivore mm-hmm. does not have incisors. And so, if we have incisors, then we were meant to eat high protein, you know, meat, and and we were also meant to eat because we're omnivores. So we were meant to eat also the the vegetables and the fruits. So it's all about the balance, but to have one extreme or the other extreme mm-hmm. just doesn't make sense. You take, you want to know what an imbalance will do for the human system. Like if you go just to greens or you just go to, to meat, then look at what would happen to a dog if you just fed it grain or you take a, a yak and you just fed it meat. It just wouldn't work. It, they wouldn't survive. They wouldn't thrive. They would, in fact, you know, die pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly right. Striking that balance is something that's not done so well when the balance is based on what you said earlier, the standard of care that often lacks standards, but is universally rooted in a collectivism ideology where everybody is ultimately the same, which comes back to the education system, which kind of looks at your child not as an individual, because if he rises up out of the ranks of that box that they're trying to constrain him in, then they say, well, let's drug him back into the box rather than say, hey, there's some gifts, there's some talents here. Let's embrace them. Let's encourage them. And there are, you know, forms of education that understand that and embrace it and bring that out. But in much of this so-called scholastic uh, public government school education, it is not that. It's imbalanced. That's the whole problem. Mm-hmm. It, it that doesn't have the inherent balance that's necessary for us to continue evolving as a human species. Mm-hmm. So when we talk nutrition, we talk medicine, we talk uh, exercise function, we talk about the mental aspects, and we, and we talk economics as well. All of these things, there's a, a theme that runs through them all. And that when we cover it from our perspective, it's one that empowers each individual, as we say, to heal, right? 
certainly to prevent having the illness in the first place, if it is at all possible. That's why we started today talking about the assault on children with the whooping cough vaccine and all other vaccines. But certainly if you've been through it like we have or kids have, how do we undo them? How do we walk them out of this, get them down a, a path where they'll one day regain, like your son as well, has regained and, 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 and achieved some things that even some of the healthiest kids haven't. So we know it's possible, and we're looking for more of these examples because that opens up the possibilities of everybody to see, hey, it can happen for us too. Absolutely, Robert. In fact, one of the things that people really start to need to concentrate towards is when we, I don't even know how we got on the subject of nutrition or, or, or how to eat, but mm-hmm. basically look at their own ability to handle the foods that they're eating. Right now, it's the month of Ramzan, so you know that I'm fasting, and it's a fast that goes from sunrise to sunset without any food or water. But the one thing that I've noticed whenever I do fast, and I hadn't fasted in the last couple of years, but I'd regularly fasted before then, the one thing that I've noted when I fast is the clarity that comes. And I think that for patients, and I've recommended to patients before to fast, and I know you fasted before. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about for religious reasons or for, you know, just from a health perspective, if you fast, yes, it, there's an appreciation that starts happening for food. That's one thing. But the, the, also the awareness that we don't need as much food as we think. And then the yes. types of foods that we're ingesting, how when we come back out of the fast and start eating again, how certain foods make us feel. Yes. It's, again, reestablishing that balance, that, that zero point, if you will. Well, it's establishing an awareness that you didn't have, much like when we uh, changed our diet. Or you mentioned the sodas, right? When I stopped drinking the Coca-Colas that I grew up on, I wasn't aware. When I stopped drinking tap water, for instance, that wasn't filtered, it was a whole awareness. I didn't know the chlorine was there. Now you can taste it like it's pool water. Same thing with the sodas. All of these things now make a a response for your body that's appropriate, whereas you've lulled it into a false sense of, well, it's always coming in. I better stop reacting because we're not going to live if I react to everything you put in our bodies. So it's it's a major transition, and we're here to help you with that. That's why we do this advanced medicine every week. That's a very good point because it's the body's own protective mechanism that's down-regulating. You're mm-hmm. absolutely right, Robert. Yeah. I think it's something that many people forget and don't realize. Yeah. Well, when we come back, we'll wrap it up on that note and maybe a few others here on the Robert Yad Bell Show, always with Dr. Batar every Monday with Advanced Medicine Monday. Again, we'll also let you know, get ready to write down the information we're going to give you. Advanced Medicine Seminars kicking into gear later in September in where? Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So grab your pencils. <laughs> we're coming back let you know that and more after this. Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Would you like to meet Dr. Batar in person? Absolutely, you can do it. It's going to happen Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, September 22nd. And 21st and 22nd, here I go, getting ahead of myself here. But the first day for healthcare providers of all kinds, second day open also to lay persons that want to attend. And we're going to tell you a little bit about how to do that. But advancedmedicineseminars.com is the link. There's a calendar up there. People are already signing up. Am I correct in my understanding there, Dr. Batar? Yeah, we weren't even really ready for that. We still had text up there that said blah, blah, blah. I wasn't aware that it hadn't been updated because I was supposed to write the content, and I had not gotten around to that. And so we still had people registering for events in uh, Philadelphia and in Houston. Wild, wild. Well, it's, it's like I said, it's coming to fruition here. Very excited about it. 
And we want to, again, welcome all healthcare providers. As you said, you're not limiting it to MDs. So you can get DOs, DCs, nutritionists, all kinds of acupuncturists, homeopaths as well to come on the first day, second day, opening up wider to our lay audience as well. That's correct. The second day is really where everybody will be exposed to the truth. And, of course, that's where you and I and a number of other people, Ty, and some, hopefully some other people will be addressing the audience. But it's a message not just about health. We're going to talk specifically about cancer and autism and heart disease on, on that day, uh, give people recommendations for certain things that they can start doing that they don't need a doctor for, yes. but also then help introduce those people to the doctors that have been trained in certain treatments in case they do need it, and then hopefully go well beyond that and get into the area of autonomy, of freedom, of the the necessity to take control of one's own health and and why that's important and how the fundamental aspect of freedom if you want to be free and in our country is based upon that fundamental right to freedom then we must start off by having autonomy and be free of the medical mm-hmm. the constraints and medical chains that hold us down and I, I mean for the individual person I'm not talking for the providers I'm talking for the individual person because right. if you are free to choose the decision, to choose the path that you're going to make mm-hmm. to get better, to, to maintain your health, to prevent disease, then by just simply having that freedom, the empowerment that you get from that is something that you can't even measure. I've had recently an individual that came into my life, um, who's become a very good friend, very well connected, has an extensive reach in technology. And he's a smoker. He actually read my book only to get some background information on me before he met me. Mm-hmm. And it was more on the technology side. It had nothing to do with health and medicine. He didn't have any reason to actually read the book except for he was doing his homework on me. And Robert, what he found when he read the book, he went through the evolution, which is exactly what my goal was when I wrote that book. He said, without even realizing it, I started making changes in my own habits People that know him have told me that it's impossible. I can't believe this guy's 54 years old. He's never, ever made any of these changes. Last week was his first day of mm-hmm. uh, giving up smoking. He told me that for the first time in his entire life, he has felt empowered and that he actually has control over his own body and his own health. Wow. And he recently lost his mother to pancreatic cancer. So this whole uh, – shift for him this whole paradigm shift may have occurred due to him seeing his mom having passed away in in the last uh, few months but regardless of whatever the cause was it has changed his life and he told me himself that he thinks this is the most important component mm-hmm. that the world needs right now and so yes. to me what we're doing is directly and indirectly empowering the individual and our hope is through the medical seminars through the advanced medicine seminars we are going to encourage people to take control of their own lives. Absolutely, and that's what we do every week here on the radio as well, and we're looking forward to doing that. And by the way, just one, one quick um, note on the fasting that Dr. Batar was talking about last segment. Indeed, if you can do a fast once a week, once a month, I mean, it's a major change. It's a shift. The first time you do it, it might be difficult. But if you, if you can't for any reason do a physiological food fast, you can choose to do mental fasts. I mean, you can actually choose. Here's a great one. Choose to do a mainstream media news fast. 
<laughs> turn off the CNNs and the Fox Newses and MSNBCs of the world for a week, your head is going to be so much clearer. You're going to be thinking your own thoughts for the perhaps the first time in a lifetime of being a news junkie. And that's going to be a very empowering thing as well, because the things we're talking about are definitely not approved and, let's say, condoned by them. But you recognize if you're resonating with this information, you realize it's the stuff that they're not telling you. So shut them down for a week at a time. You may never go back. You'll be better off for it. Robert, that is such an incredible suggestion. Uh, That really is a fantastic suggestion. And I actually encourage people to not only do that, but in that time that you would normally watch TV, just look out of your window at a a park or at a field or at a tree or Mm -hmm. at a body of water. It doesn't matter. At that same time that you would normally be watching the news, just look out of one of these places and just breathe, deep (laughs) breathing in and out. And in and out and in and out. And just look at that image, whatever it is. It can even be a picture. Yes. But if you just add a little bit of breathing, I'm actually going to be doing a retreat soon. And in that retreat, one of the biggest reasons for us doing this retreat is because people have been asking, because in the book I talk about the exercise program. Yes. They want to know about the breathing exercises that I talk about all the time. You've probably heard me talk about it. Oh, yes. Yes. But just by adding... You know, the first, the easiest thing is just to turn off the TV and not watch the news. Uh, I agree with you. In fact, you know, watch a sitcom. Yeah. Watch anything else. Don't watch the news because that's all propaganda, all misinformation, all mm-hmm. negative. It brings you down. You're absolutely right, Robert. That's a fantastic suggestion. If you can add some breathing to that, yes. I, you see a huge difference in your own self within less than a week. Beautiful. Well, I think we've accomplished our goal for today on Advanced Medicine Monday here on the Robert Scott Bell Show with uh, Dr. Batar. What is that? Well, you know you know what that is. And by the way, check it out again, medicalrewind.com. All the links are up, as well as to the nine steps to keep the doctor away and Advanced Medicine Seminars. There are a lot of things you're going to want to plug into as we uh, progress here around around the country, maybe around the world, to bring this message personally to you as well. But, Dr. Batar, always grateful to have you on board. You know it. Always glad to be here, Robert. Yeah, and we're doing it each week, each day here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, reminding you that the power to heal is yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show.